Seek would like to start this episode by acknowledging Australia's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities and their rich culture, and pay respect to their elders past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening today. Seek recorded this episode from Wurundjeri Woi Wurrung Country. When you think about the workplace and social circumstances we've experienced in the past five years, there's been some pretty extraordinary shifts. So what might the next five years hold for Australian workplaces? And how can we realistically plan for the future? This is an incredibly fertile time to think differently because we've had to. And now we're going to be thinking about like how could we make work better? We spoke to leadership author and entrepreneur Charlene Lee to explore what the next five years of work might look like important factors to be aware of, and how businesses can prepare. Hello, Charlotte. Hello. When we're talking about the future, uh, and there is a lot of commentary, there's a lot of debate around the future of work, what's a reasonable point ahead to predict, though? Is, is that around the next, you know, five to ten years? Because that seems like a productive time frame where people can actually think about progressing their career or making a change. Anything past that kind of seems a bit futuristic, doesn't it? I think even anything past five years is really hard to think about because right. think about five years ago where we were, it seems unfathomable the amount of changes that happened over just even the last five years. So I think five years is definitely more than enough time. And 10 years is good because you want to be a little bit aspirational about some of the long-term changes we'd like to be able to see in our workplaces. Sure. So if you look at that, that five-year time frame, then, what does that look like? In terms of work and in terms of employee priorities, what are the changes that we're seeing now? What do you think is going to, I guess, solidify over this next five years? We are going through a huge seismic change right now. We've either been working from home or we've been working in very extreme circumstances as essential workers. And as we go back to return to work, return to office, whatever that looks like. Some people still cling to the idea that we can just all go back, right? We'll just all go back, magic yeah. wand, none of this ever happened. <laughs> We've had a taste now of, of a different way of working. And yes, there are things that we really don't like, like the isolation from people. But there are other things that we also didn't like about the previous way of working, uh, long commutes, long hours. And so this is an incredibly fertile time to think differently. Because we've had to. Yeah. And now we're going to be thinking about, like, how could we make work better? What, in your opinion and your research and what you looked at, how are some of the ways that we can make work better, given that what's been put upon us in the last 18 months? It feels to me we spoke about this um, and then all of a sudden it became reality really quickly. Right. We did in five or seven days what we thought would have taken five or seven years yeah. or never, <laughs> yeah. never, yeah. we'll never do this. There are people still who say, we'll never have remote workers. Like, well, you just did for the past year and a half. Why do you say never? I mean, what's, what's the logic behind this? More than anything else, people have developed a stronger sense of agency. The fact that I let you into my bedrooms. Literally, you have been in my bedroom. Yeah. We've been in each other's bedrooms. I mean, that level of intimacy and vulnerability that we show with each other. And now you want to take it all away, rip it back apart, put back those barriers that made work not so enjoyable, not so much something that I want, I want to spend a lot of my time doing. I like to say the genie's out of the bottle. There's no way to get it back in. Yeah. And so the, over the next five years, I think we're going to come to a huge reckoning about what does it mean to work? What does it mean yeah. to have a relationship at work, which we've never had to deal with before as employers, as leaders? 
let me talk about employee engagement, employee experience, but we never quite get to the point of employee relationship, which is a very different concept. We just don't think about it. I'll give you an example. When we begin work at, at a new job, we think about, okay, this is great. I'm excited. They're excited about me. It's going to be a great time. And we fool ourselves into thinking that it's going to be forever because we never talk about, oh, one day you're going to leave. Mm. And yet we know the chances are very, very high that you're not going to stay with me forever until retirement. So we do this odd dance like, hey, come on in. We're going to ignore the fact that you potentially could leave, but it's a quote relationship forever. But it's not. There's no promise of forever employment. There's no promise that I'm going to stay with you forever. So I think a much healthier way of thinking about this is this is a temporary work relationship that we have. Mm. It has bounds. It has times. What are the agreements in this relationship? Can we talk about this give and take? What will this relationship actually look like? And to be thoughtful and intentional about what this relationship is. What am I promising you? What are you promising me? What are the agreements that we keep with each other? Mm. That's what relationships are based on, these spoken and unspoken relationships. And in something as important as work, I do believe they need to be spoken. They need to be written down. There needs to be clear understanding about what these agreements are. So I think about the future of work through the lens of a relationship. How could we structure the way we work, the relationships with our employees, with our employers in a completely different way, much more humanistic way. To change text slightly, if, if we look at both Gen Y and Gen Z, research and conversation, you know, it tells us that they're really looking for progressive, less corporate workplaces. Is this a trend that you think will continue to grow? Absolutely, because I think we realize now we have many different choices in terms of where we work. One of the most interesting statistics here in the U.S. is that business formation is up almost 70% over the previous year, meaning that people are filing to run businesses, actual businesses, not just be independent contractors, at a much higher rate than they were previous year. It's because how can I rely on the on the, my workplace anymore? Yeah. Because I could just, you know, another pandemic, another tax situation or something happens and I'm out of a job. So I'm much better off kind of doing things on my own, being self-reliant. And do I really need you anymore? Yeah. So the power has really shifted. We still act as employers as if we have the power. Oh, no, no, no. We are the ones begging for people to work with us these days. And I gather as well, probably a lot of people going and doing or setting up those businesses is something that they're truly passionate about that right. actually actually intersects with their life and their own values. I imagine you've seen that in the States. Absolutely. I think it was nothing else that the pandemic did. It yep. made us pause and take stock of where our lives are, what we wanted to do, um, how do we want to work? Where do we want to work? Who do we want to work with? There needs to be some meaning in our lives, the why, the golden why behind why we work. It can't just be for a paycheck. We have a huge shortage of people in the service and hospitality businesses. Mm -hmm. And when you listen to them, they go like, why? It was horrible. My job was horrible. I was on my feet all day. I was working 60, 80 hours a week and getting paid minimal wage. Why am I doing this? Yeah. So they have found other things to do. When you have that shortage, you either have to pay more for doing the same awful job or you start reforming the job to be less awful. There's a recognition that we we weren't treating people very well. We weren't paying them a fair wage and they were being taken advantage of. And that's what the pandemic really exposed. 
And some of those service industries you mentioned, have they cottoned on to this? Are they starting to now look at their, I guess let's call it their EVP and their conditions that they do, or are they kind of relying on just that same attrition of people coming through? Well, there's nobody coming through. They may have gotten 100, 100 resumes for a position before, and now they're lucky if they get one or two. Yeah. Uh, they're offering sign-up bonuses, they're offering higher wages, and they still can't get people to come up. And here in the United States, some people are blaming the employment unemployment checks. But I think, again, in talking to people, they're just fed up. They found other things to do. Yeah. And they're pretty confident knowing that if and when they're ready to go back to their, quote, original jobs, they can get a job anywhere. Yeah. Because there's well wanted signs anywhere. So that's sort of my last resort. I know how awful that is. And yeah. I'm going to go and work for somebody who's going to be a lot more progressive as a result. When we look at the future of the workplace, what kind of resources and data can people look at in order to start to make predictions and forecasts? What's out there and what do you pay particular attention to? I particularly pay attention to that stat that I just talked about, which yeah. is the business formation, because that says a couple of things. First of all, how fed up are people with jobs? They're mm. really fed up and they're starting their own businesses. And it may be a business on the side, it may be a full-time business, but we've never seen any sort of energy around that as we have. It's across the board with independent contractors and also actual business formation, employers being registered. I look at how many um, help wanted signs there are in neighborhoods. I talk to people to just anecdotally understand what's going on. Yeah. But you look at the research and we see wages going up yeah. because of that, that imbalance between people who are staying home right now for lots of different reasons, including health reasons. Mm. And the reality is that we want to open up. So I think we're in this imbalance for the next two years, two to three years, as we work out what does it mean? What does the work, new workplace look like? The statistics are going to be everywhere, all yeah. over the place, up and down. It's, it's not going to make a lot of sense. So when you see crazy numbers, like 70% increase in business formation, wages going up in different places, 25, 50% in order to attract people. I do think it's a temporary blip, but it's not going to be able to, it's not going to work itself out for quite a few years. Charlene, interested as well to get an understanding, what are your predictions and what do you think is going to happen to the physical workspace in the next five to 10 years? Well, one of the things that we look at is the office was a place where we went to go work. And I think in the future, it'll be a place where we go to gather. It's a very different role because especially for people who have remote workers or who may be working from home most of their time. Mm. The, the work physical workplace, I think, is going to get reconfigured where we may not need as big of a footprint. We may be doing much more hoteling and then some large common space for the gathering. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. why, why do we go to work? Why do we go to an office? It's not to work. It's to really collaborate, to be together, to create a sense of community. So I think um, offices will be places where we actually gather rather than the place where you have to go do work. What might leadership look like in 2030? What might good leadership look like in 2030? I think if you want to see that, you go look at how many women lead. Yep. Women lead with empathy, with vulnerability. That is what has really come through because of the pandemic. What we found is that, you know, in the middle of pandemic, where everything was falling apart, the leadership that was really effective was one that listened really well, mm. that had a lot of empathy for people could see people just breaking down because of all the stress in their lives because of the pandemic, the isolation mm. that people had. 
just the fact that people were saying at the beginning meeting, so how are you doing? No, really, yeah. how are you doing? And meaning that yeah. drove employee engagement numbers through the roof worldwide. And they've come back down <laughs> because yeah. we've just gotten kind of used to it, kind of complacent. We're not doing that anymore. If you want high employee engagement, I mean, it reached an astoundingly high number in June last summer between here in the U.S. and also globally, the pandemic, but also the causes and the movements for racial justice. Mm -hmm. uh, so many things were coming out and people were taking the time to really care for each other. Yeah. So I think leadership, again, I go back to relationships. Leadership is simply a relationship between people who aspire to create change and the people who are inspired to follow them. And the more change you're trying to create, the stronger that relationship needs to be. What does leadership look like in 2030? I think it's incredibly relationship focused. Yeah. yeah and correct. we're really thinking and, and really saying, what do we want that relationship to be? Do we want a bunch of sheep? Yeah. A bunch of yes men and women who just do exactly as I tell them. Those days don't work anymore. So we've seen a big shift here in Australia and New Zealand research that SEEK has done. You know, we found that security has become the top priority for candidates that we're speaking to and researching, followed by flexibility and then work-life balance. And actually, for the first time ever, salary has fallen out of the first of the top three. How do you project employee priorities to continue to change? I think security is going to be at the top for a few years just because we've been through such a tumultuous time. I do think that flexibility and work-life balance will be up there because mm. We're willing to get paid a little bit less in order to have these three things yeah. because we crave those things in our lives right now. And I don't see that changing over the next five years and yeah. probably 10 years, because once you have a little taste of how wonderful life can be, where you have the flexibility, you have the work-life balance and the security, hey, I'll take a little bit less money to be able to have those three, three things in my life because it's so much better. I'm so much happier. Yeah. So I think the well-being of employees is going to become paramount. That's the overarching thing about those three things is I need security, I need flexibility and work-life balance to take care of myself, yeah. to have self-love for myself and, and be able to have a good life. Just to draw down on flexibility, so it's a key consideration for business leaders today, and it feels like it's here to stay, but in what capacity do you think? What is flexibility really look like and, and how can it actually work for both business and the employee? Yeah. The reality is there's a lot of room for movement inside a business. Mm. You don't have to work nine to five. You don't have to work Monday through Friday. The reality is businesses tend not to work that way. Even if it's shift work, for example, in hospitals or retail where you have open hours, there again are ways to be flexible about this. It's really about saying, how do we flex? Because the reality is life flexes. Yeah. on us. So work needs to flex too as well. A sick child, I'm feeling sick that day. We saw the, the penalties that people had to pay because they didn't have days off, pay days off for, sick, for being sick. Yeah. So what do they do? They come to work sick. I mean, who wants that? That's the flexibility we need to have. It's a reality that life happens. Mm. So how do we make it so that it's not so stressful that people are able to do this, to have families, to have health, to be able to take the time mm. to go to doctor's appointments, to yeah. go and help an elderly parent? The thing about flexibility, it takes a leader to realize that we're all human here. 
in that the flexibility I want for myself as a leader or an executive or a manager is the type of flexibility our coworkers want, our colleagues want up and down throughout the organization. But look at it this way. If you're so rigid that you can't allow a little bit of flexibility, what happens when a real threat comes along? An external threat. Are you so rigid that you cannot flex with that? So that is the trade-off, right? And you say to people, look, I want to give you this, but at some point in the future, I may ask you to give me some flexibility because of a surge in demand, because of some external thing happening, some emergency. So if I pay you forward to give you that flexibility, I also ask for it in return at some point in the future, potentially. I think flexibility is a fantastic resilience on a metric to see is how much can we bend to support each other and also support the business. When we're finished with this pandemic, whatever that looks like, will flexibility become the norm then? Or do you think that there'll be some sort of snapback? Like every type of business and leader in the world, there's always going to be some mix of things. Some leaders will just feel like, hey, I I really need to have things in a predictable way. And the, Mm. the flexibility is very, very much a rare exception. I need everybody to show up for the shift on time. I need you to come in. Everybody understands us. It's a very large, complex organization. So we can have a little bit of flexibility, but they're really on the edges and margins. It really needs to work this way. For those organizations, they need to have some other type of flexibility to give people this time. So it could be, again, ways to ask for time off, ways that they can use flexible days that yeah. they can know that they can have extra people, for example, to do it and put to, to fill in those gaps. So they may have some extra capacity knowing that they have that flexibility. But for the most part, don't expect it to come in at certain times and days. And that's the bargain that we have. That's the agreement that we have. Yeah. And again, to go back to that point, it's all about the communication because that's going to suit some employees, other people it's not going to, and they've got opportunity. They've got capacity yes. to move. Yeah. So I, I think like any marketplace in human resources and labor, it's a real marketplace. If more and more people want that flexibility and they have choices, they will use the power of their two feet and walk out the door. I think about flexibility as not only just time, but also of place, of also benefits, but also there's this mental state to know that if I have something that comes up, I can have a conversation mm. or is it written and cast in stone yeah. what the flexibility is? So let's talk about the marketplace because certainly here in Australia, we're seeing some extraordinary talent challenges at the moment, whether that be skills, shortages, mismatches, a real hesitation to move because that security is you know, inherently really, really important to people at the moment. Will these be, in your opinion, long-lived challenges and, and how will they necessarily evolve over time? I think in, in environments where our population growth is, is fairly stagnant and declining, this will be here for a long time because our businesses are growing, um, our economies are growing, and we don't have people to fill those jobs. Yeah. It's, it's just look at the numbers, the economics. Yeah. That is what's happening. So there is a war for talent. And we forget yeah. that as employers, that there is an absolute war for talent out there. And if you think you're you're not in that, then you're going to be in a world of hurt because you haven't prepared <laughs> yourself for it, right? Yeah. So I think this uh, this need for flexibility, and I think it's not just a need for flexibility; it's a need for people to be seen as, as fully uh, recognized agents in their success. Yeah. So this whole rise of the sense of agency, which is every person feels like they're an owner. It's not just enough to be flexible. It's not enough just to offer great benefits and give people pay. People want to feel like they are invested in their work, that they're turned to for their contributions, that they are seen and known. 
and are recognized as full-bodied people with the ability to contribute. So, Charlene, if we look at organisational structure, are you seeing or do you think that means more a flatter structure within organisations to try and boost agency? Interestingly, I don't think agency is related to being flat. I I don't think it's necessarily uh, that flat organizations are necessarily even better. Mm. Uh, Hierarchies are really helpful because they really define very clear delineations of this is our area of work. This is our area of expertise. Silos are actually quite helpful because if you didn't have a silo, you would have no grain to store, (laughs) no place to store the grain, so to speak. So the silos are, are, are departments, hierarchies are really good because you have a clearly defined way of doing things. You have excellence, career ladders defined within those areas. What's hard is when we make these silos so rigid that there's no communications back and forth between mm. them. So I think about it as breaking windows between the silos so that customers and their data can flow seamlessly throughout your organization. People can communicate. They're maybe at the window yelling at each other across the silos in the beginning, but eventually you put in processes, you put in platforms and technologies to smooth that communication back and forth. I do believe that these changes that we're talking about are not necessarily the idea of agency. You could be at the very front lines of of a group. We have this um, group called Comcast. They are Mm -hmm. a large cable provider here in the US. And they started creating these things called huddles where teams would get together on a regular basis once or twice a week and share what they're seeing and learning. And if they think something needs to change, they can write something called an elevation and it goes directly to that department. And that department must answer them. Okay. And say, wow, this is great. We were looking into this or not looking into this for this reason. And thank you. We hadn't been aware of that. We're going to make this change. Now imagine how that person who wrote that elevation yeah. feels when they get that response back and they have to respond to the elevations. Yeah. Okay. When you get that, you get this tremendous sense of agency. That has nothing to do with organizational structure. Yeah. Okay. That has everything to do with saying, you have valid ideas and we're going to have a place to put them and we're going to actively ask you to provide those ideas. And that real sense of agency obviously then funnels up and boosts the employee engagement. However, an organization measures that. Exactly, exactly. If you cast your mind ahead to the next 10 years, what are some of the hiring and candidate challenges that might arise if we're looking at talent acquisition? Uh, it's just finding people. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that the skills that we will need over the next five to 10 years, they don't exist. Yeah. Training doesn't exist for these. Yeah. Uh, again, we have new technologies and new ways of working. I remember early on in the social media space, somebody was looking to hire a social media manager and they were like, we, we need somebody with five to 10 years experience. I'm like, that doesn't exist. Yeah. It, you know, Facebook didn't exist five years ago and it just became something this past year. Yeah. You're looking at people who don't have experience to go do a job that's essential to the business and we have no idea how to train them. It's crazy. Right. And this is the reality of what work is going to look like. It's fairly easy in some ways to take an existing job and to hire for that. The hard part around those edges are where new jobs, new responsibilities, new areas of expertise that we have no idea how to do. I'll just use one example. We've been talking about customer experience for a long time. Mm. And yet most organizations do not have a lead customer experience officer or somebody in charge of it. It's sort of a secondary job of somebody. So the question becomes, if you wanted to hire somebody to be in charge of customer experience, where would you put them? What would their responsibilities be? How would they fit between these silos? 
So I think one of the biggest challenges of hiring is actually creating the jobs, defining inside of our own organizations, how we need to change, how we need to work differently together to get the things done. Are you seeing good organizations, what are they doing to look at the supply chain, if you'd like, for those jobs that may not necessarily exist yet, or they don't really know what they are? How are they starting to think of it? Maybe it's even their own employees looking to transition them from roles that are becoming slightly outdated to the new ones. Is that, are you seeing good organizations starting to think about that? Yes, the best organizations have their tentacles out all the time. HR is not an internal function, it is an external function. Because you need to understand where the demands are coming from because of the competitive environment that you're in. So you're very closely working with business managers to understand a year or two from now, what are the new skills we're going to have to have? You're sitting at the strategy table, Mm. intimately aware of what the strategy is. I cannot begin to tell you how many HR people are missing from the entire conversation around digital transformation. Digital transformation is a people issue. It is not a technology issue. The technology is easy, frankly. You go push a button and you put the order and technology shows up instantaneously. (laughs) And your people haven't changed. Nobody knows how to work this technology. (laughs) So you know months and years in advance that there was a digital transformation happening. And yet HR doesn't hear about it until finally somebody, we, we need to hire somebody who can do machine learning and AI and yeah. you know all these types of analytics. And you're like, I have no idea how to get those people. Yeah, It may be looking at somebody internally and go, over the next two years, we're going to be grooming you for this position. Mm. Two years of investment yeah. into somebody. But yeah. you know this person, you know they're excellent. You know, they also want to expand their skill set but you better be looking at this two years in advance of when you're actually going to need them. We love to finish off the podcast. You've been really generous with your time. Some advice. We've got a broad range of listeners, broad range of organizations. They might be small or large, but all of them are probably grappling with how do we start to prepare for a change in employee priorities going forward? What advice would you have for them? Talk to your current employees as much as you can. Really take the time to understand what are their priorities? How are things changing? What are they thinking? And they will give you a tremendous amount of feedback because we we rarely ask. We think we know, but do we know? Yeah. Do we really know how their priorities are changing? So in your conversations with them and the development conversations, first of all, have development conversations that are separate from evaluations, but in them say, how do you think about the future? How have your priorities changed? And a really golden place to go and talk to people are your newest employees. Okay. Ones that are just coming in, not your most experienced ones. Ask them after two weeks, what surprised you? What didn't you know? What about our culture is fantastic? What about our culture is wacky? Yeah. Because (laughs) they're, they're, they're looking at things with fresh eyes. And that is such a precious gift. Talk to them while they're still fresh. And I think the third thing is to truly have an idea of who your future employee is going to be. Mm-hmm. Having your idea of how are their, I, their needs, their wants changing. I, I, I think, again, people talk about millennials are so different. They're actually not that different. When we were young, we had different expectations than our current uh, yeah. uh, employers. And so every generation brings with them new sensibilities. So understand that next generation and also understand how Gen X is also changing. 
we have gone through a huge life change with this. And so don't assume that we have not changed too as well. Charlene Lee, thanks for your time. Thank you very much. Well, thanks for joining us for this remote episode. For more ideas and discussions on the world of work and all things recruitment and HR, stay tuned for upcoming episodes of Seek Talent Talks.